Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. When you lead from a base of expertise, your confidence and credibility are derived from your knowledge. People follow you as a result. However, when you take a stretch assignment and span outside of your comfort zone, leading requires a different approach. One of influence, inspiration, compromise, and courage. We are here to talk about how to take that next step and keep going. Now, here is your host, Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. Stress seems to be on absolutely everybody's mind these days, and especially given the last two years that we've had. For office workers, stress seems to be everywhere, whether that's at home, at work, with the family, away from the family, and even I'm hearing on vacation. In the headline news, there's even more to be stressed about, from climate change to terrorism, pandemics, health fears, economy, inflation, politics, and the list goes on. That's just even scratching the surface. So now we have been told that stress is bad for you and that we should eliminate or avoid stress. What I want to ask today is, is that actually true? And more importantly, I want to ask, what do you do to manage the stress and build resilience? And we're going to come at this one from a very different angle. We're going to come from an expert who works with first responders, who is a first responder himself, and who trains first responders to manage their own stress and see what levels of what advice we get from this position. So my guest today is Nick Arnett. Nick is a wildland firefighter, an EMT, crisis responder, fire chaplain, and former paramedic with experience in domestic and international emergency and disaster response in fire, rescue, medical communications, public information, and crisis intervention roles. Try saying that sentence five times over. He teaches crisis intervention, resilience, and community emergency preparedness. And before that, he was software industry product executive and a company founder with seven panels. Patents. Now, Nick has also an award winning reporter for CBS and ABC News, Rolling Stone, and a host of others. And while he was at the San Jose Business Journal, he broke the story of Steve Jobs' departure from Apple. And while he was in college, he reported the first accurate account of the Reagan shooting for CBS and other news media. Sounds like a person who's been there in the middle of the heat on multiple occasions. So, Nick, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thank you. It's good to be here. Well, I'm super excited about this one because we often talk to lots of psychologists like myself or coaches who've written books about stress. This is at a whole other level. Let's take people who've been on the front line with stress and tell me what's happening and what the best is you're going to see. So you've got a really unusual career from reporter to software engineer and executive, a firefighter, EMT, resilience trainer, And you've written a book, I should also add, Stress into Strength, Resilience Routines for Warriors, Wimps, and Everyone in Between. Why? What's the fascination with this notion about stress and resilience, and why write a book? What got me started down this road was uh, 17 years ago, in my my extended family, we had a line of duty death, uh, uh, serving in the military in Iraq. And that made me realize I was still carrying around a lot of old stuff in my stress backpack, as we like to call it, from when I was a paramedic, from my childhood, from uh, different things. And I connected in with a, a team that is another mouthful, the Bay Area Critical Incident Stress Management Team for help. And they helped me uh, 
and invited me to join the team. So I've been with the team now for 17 years and have done, uh, I'm sure, over a thousand crisis interventions of all sorts of terrible things. And that's for the public and first responders as well. And I was back, I was working in software at the time, but by doing that, I sort of got drawn back into actually being in public safety. So now I'm back into that full time. And the, the book came out of noticing that some people really did rarely needed our services, even though they had been through high stress events in their personal life or in their career that led a lot of other people to come to us. And I started wondering, are they just in denial, right? Are they just stuffing down the feelings that come up when you go through high stress stuff or are they actually more resilient? So I began trying to learn what it is that makes us resilient. And then there was this amazing study done by uh, University of Wisconsin, where they looked at not a small study, but about 30,000 US adults who had filled out a stress survey eight years earlier. And the researchers went back to see who lived and who died. Yeah. As you might expect, and as uh, our common beliefs about stress would tell us, the people who reported they had very high levels of stress who believed that stress is toxic for you were the quickest to die. Because this was a study of perception. Right? Right. So if you perceive that stress is toxic, stress will kill you. You'll, you'll die sooner. That, the study made that clear. But the amazing thing was that the people who lived the longest were the people who reported the highest levels of stress who didn't believe that stress is bad for you. And a lot of people have looked at that and tried to figure out what is going on there. And I think it's actually pretty simple. I don't mean to say that stress can't be bad for you. It absolutely is when it's chronic. Chronic stress is deadly. When you tell somebody that stress is toxic, you make it chronic because now they're going to spend all this time trying to eliminate the stress from their lives. Well, that's like pushing on a rope. You can't. I, I used to joke, and, and it doesn't seem so funny anymore as I thought about it more, but I used to joke that parenting is stressful. So how do you do stress reduction if you're a parent? Say, I'm, I'm sorry, I can only handle three of you. One of you has to go, right? <laughs> so it seems kind of funny, but then I realized that I see people doing almost exactly that. They don't actually let their kids go, but they neglect them. And sometimes in the name of self-care, uh, because they're trying to reduce the stress in their lives. And, and, and more generally, I think our this, this negative attitude towards stress can lead people to avoid challenges that they really could embrace and lead people not to take advantage of opportunities because they think, you know, I have too much stress. It's one of the most popular things I've posted in social media since the book came out was when you've had a bad day, a tough day, a stressful day, instead of thinking I need, I need less stress, it's much healthier to think I need more renewal. And I had to come up with a word because we don't really have a word for the other side of this and it's a system, it's a process that's, that's wired into us of stress and renewal. And it's actually the only way we gain strength and physical strength, psychological strength, spiritual strength. It arises from healthy patterns of stress and renewal, sort of the right kinds, the right amounts at the right intervals. Just like an athlete who's training for the Olympics, uh, they call it recovery rather than renewal. I didn't like that word because you bring that into psychology and it sounds like we're talking about addiction and recovery. So I, so I chose the word renewal. So the big message that, that came out of this book, which 
really wasn't what I was trying to write when I started it, but was that stress is bad when it's when you live your life like a marathon. But it's very, very healthy to live your life like a series of sprints. And it can be very high stress during a sprint as long as you get the renewal that turns that stress into strength. That's where the title of the book came from. Right. Wow. That touches so many chords for me. First off, I knew about the University of Wisconsin study, which I think is fascinating. I believe, if I believe that whatever level of stress I'm experiencing is toxic, then it's going to be literally more deadly for me. And I can have even higher levels of stress and believe that it's not toxic and it doesn't have any negative health benefits. So that goes counter to everything we've ever, we've been talking about in terms of stress. So this one thing is like just to reinforce that it is how I think about stress. It is how I see it. And I love that you said with stress that's chronic is a problem. Yes. Try to describe it as toxic, like a toxic boss, a toxic marriage, a troubled child or whatever. And I take what is stress and I turn it into a chronic state of affairs because there's not much. I always want to acknowledge for some people, it is inescapably chronic because they're, they're living in an abusive situation for a child who's living uh, with neglect or abuse. It's that's chronic stress and, and they may not have much control. Uh, I, I, I had mixed feelings and I tried to acknowledge in the book that some of the things I talk about that act, activate renewal are much less accessible to much of our population uh, than the rest. I, I, I tried not to write it from the point of view of somebody who has a lot of resources to do these things that, that I uh, talk about as activating renewal. Yeah, that's important because we certainly see people who've had, who've experienced horrendous trauma as children and into young adulthood and who are, who will carry the damage of that through their lives, especially when you feel like you didn't have control. Now, that doesn't mean they have to live in a terrible state, but it just means they're going to carry that with them. It's going to be or, a part or of spending months in combat. I mean, yeah. there's no, you know, there, I, mean, I know there are ways to activate renewal, but that is going to be chronic stress. There's, right. That's inescapable. Right. I like this idea. So the, uh, the third thing that I connect to on this one is I think about how many times I've been coaching people, including this week, twice over, where you realize that the person's reaction is not matching the situation that they're in. And it isn't long before you start to realize that part of the stress levels are coming from whatever is or isn't happening at home. And yes, that's not my job, but some days it shows up whether you planned for it or not. Um, and you know, the advice often there is how do you take care of yourself? And what you're saying is it's not so much about taking care of yourself as it is finding the places for renewal for yourself that allow you to contain what you're doing in your life. And it is another way of saying self-care. But, you know, in my business, in, in public safety, we don't talk about self-care. That just doesn't go over well. It's, it's, I, I've had firefighters literally tell me in a class, stop dropping the F-bomb. And like, what do you mean? I'm not using the F-bomb. Yes, you are. You're talking about feelings. And so, so, so there's, there's phrases that just aren't working. Um, right. and, and, and public safety is so oriented toward helping other people that, that they'll deprioritize, deprioritize themselves. So we right. want them to do self-care. But I think talking about it is activating renewal and making that comparison to physical recovery after exercise. Right. And, and people really get it when we say, hey, it's like weightlifting. You have to 
to borrow the name of your podcast, you have to get out of your comfort zone, right? That's stress. Um, but, but you also need your sleep and your, your, your protein and rest and, uh, and you've got to get that rhythm going. And so the book really is about how to do the same thing mentally and spiritually. Yeah. We, I have done a podcast and a number of webinars with Andrew McDonald in the UK, who's taking the Olympic athlete um, system of monitoring heart rate variability as a measure of stress. We've been taking that to executives, having them wear this device for 24-7, plotting how much stress they're actually physically showing, and then showing them how much, or actually the answer is how little, he would use the word recovery, I'll use the word renewal, both physical and mental, where the mental is probably the more important part. So are you having moments where your heart rate variability declines again? Um, And I know from monitoring that, it's real. It's very real. So if if I can jump in here, tell him, if you talk to him, he's not measuring stress. He's measuring renewal. Because heart rate variability, the higher it is, that means your parasympathetic system is more activated. But that is a great example of the negative bias even – uh, the business of psychology and physiology has about stress instead of, and, and so we think, oh, let's, it's stress, it's bad. So we'll use heart rate variability to measure how much we're getting rid of it. When in reality, the higher your heart rate variability is, the more renewal is going on in your body, the more you have the, the renewal hormones. And I haven't found anybody who really has pointed out that if you look through the literature, you'll see that just like we have a set of stress hormones, that do do damage if they remain at elevated levels for all, we have a set of renewal hormones. And yet I've I've really been struck by the negative bias. Uh, For example, uh, when researchers identified oxytocin's role in stress, they talked about it as a stress hormone. But to me, it is clearly a renewal hormone. So the stress hormone epinephrine can damage your cardiac muscle. Well, oxytocin repairs it, right? But, But what's very interesting is the effect of, as you probably know, oxytocin on the brain, stress can damage our relationships. Oxytocin literally helps us repair those relationships because higher oxytocin levels, so which goes with a higher heart rate variability and so forth, lets us read facial expressions better. It literally helps us recognize who our friends are. It helps us be less tribal, think less in black and white. So I'm, I'm working on an article right now to sort of sum up the damage being done by this you know, what really is negative bias. And there's, there's great irony in this because this comes out of psychology where negative bias is very well known and studied and so forth. But I don't think the field really has recognized how much negative bias there is in the field. Just one other thing about that. We know the phrase uh, fight or flight, right? So that was coined by Walter Cannon 120 years ago or so. He also coined the phrase rest and digest, which was more significant because he identified homeostasis, the way our bodies uh, uh, get back to stability after stress. Well, I went on to Google and I searched Google for fight or flight and rest and digest. In the, in the general Google index, there's 15 times as many mentions of fight or flight as rest and digest. In the Google Scholar index, which really looks at the scientific papers and so forth, there are 20 times as many mentions of fight or flight as rest and digest. And I, I think Walter Cannon would be appalled because he really was talking about how we get back to stability. Um, and yet all the focus has been on this idea of fight or flight. Uh, so I'm, 
that's my other mission, I guess, is to, to at least help us become aware of this negative bias we have. That's right. Well, in Andrew's justification, if he were sitting here, he would say that what Olympic-class athletes do is stress themselves, push the levels of stress, followed by adequate periods of renewal, exactly. both mental and physical um, and emphasize the both the mental and the physical. It can't just be one side or the other. And you would say add the spiritual to that one as well. I love that. Yeah. Fight or flight and rest and digest. And that the notion is homeostasis. How do we bring our bodies, our minds, ourselves back to some basis of stability? Yeah. And, and in the book, one of the things that sort of fell out of it was realizing that that these things are true psychologically and spiritually. And, and I should stop for a moment and, and define spiritual uh, because that, that's used a lot of different ways. And when I say spiritually, I mean our sense of values, um, our, our, our mission, our sense of purpose above and beyond just survival and making money and power and so forth. And, those, and certainly in psychology, we know those are really important. So, so I began to realize there are uh, social and spiritual equivalents of fight or flight in and, and we don't have words for all of them, but so I came up with some. So I think okay. that the social response to uh, stress response is defend and distance. Um, and psychology certainly has a notion of highly defended people. Before I began being a therapist after the line of duty death, I was a pretty highly defended person and maybe still am a bit. Stress response, right? Yep. Those researchers who identified oxytocin and its role uh, coined the phrase tend and befriend. And I think that's the social renewal response. And on the spiritual side, we become more, I called it selfish and survivalist. And it's important to remember that all these stress reactions serve very important purposes. It was appropriate to become more selfish and survivalist when the pandemic hit and to some extent stock up on uh, supplies and so forth that you might need and, and look after the people you care the most about. Mm-hmm. But we need to do that spiritual renewal as well. And I, I decided to call that pause and plan. And that's things like meditation and, and some of the mind-body practices where we literally get our perspective back. Because in when we get stressed, we lose our perspective. That's just you mentioned that I talk about this as connection and disconnection. It's stress disconnects and we need to reconnect. So it's it's reconnecting physically, reconnecting with our social support network and reconnecting with our values and our sense of purpose and and, and meaning. By the way, I want to give some credit also to Kelly McGonigal, who wrote the book, uh, The Upside of Stress, because that book also was such an eye-opener. And, and of course, it was the Wisconsin study that opened her right. eyes as well. Yeah. Right. Um, and, and you know, there's a great line from Kelly's TED Talk where she says that chasing meaning is far healthier than trying to reduce stress. Uh, <laughs> and I think she just she nailed it right there, especially on the, the spiritual side of things, even though I'm not sure she calls it spiritual. Chasing meaning is more important than reducing stress. Yeah, I'm not sure that's exactly how she said it, but that was the gist. Same principle. I get the notion. So let me see if I can summarize this in a couple of sentences here, Nick, heaven forbid, which is to say, one, all of us experience stress. Stress is a good part of life. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It has to do with whether it's chronic, whether I believe it's toxic, or whether I believe it's bad for me. That stress pushes us in good directions And what we need are periods of stress and periods of renewal. And renewal comes with the physical side, which is the rest and digest. It comes with the social side, which is the tend and befriend. And it comes with the spiritual side, which is the pause and plan, the reconnect. 
So what you would say about renewal is it's a reconnection and stress is a disconnection. Yeah. And, and I think I said this already, but in case I didn't, uh, uh, activating renewal makes far more sense than reducing stress. The, the stress reduction will happen naturally if you put a priority on the things that activate renewal. And then you're no longer pushing on the rope of stress reduction. And, and, and I'll mention, too, just to go to one of the real hot buttons, you know, the, we know that the suicide rate has gone up a lot recently. And, and within public safety, suicide is a big, big problem. And I've come to believe that, that we contribute to the suicide rate when we teach people that stress is a bad thing. Because the only people without stress are dead people. And at, at, at some level, I think that that message comes through. Um, and, and so for a lot of reasons, and that's a big one, I think we really need to get away from this idea uh, of this negative view of stress and put it in. It's been taken out of context. It's, it's the context is that it's part of this system of how living things adapt, grow, become more resilient, even though it does damage. I mean, when you lift weights, those Olympic athletes, they get micro tears in their muscles. It's, it's damaging those muscles, but that's the only way you stimulate a muscle to grow. So the fact that stress can and does harm us somewhat needs to not keep us from getting out of our comfort zone. Well, every time I talk about leadership, every time I talk about human behavior in some ways, but let's stay with leadership for the moment, I am constantly reminded that it is a balanced system. For any positive quality, if you overuse that quality, then you got a problem on the opposite side. So, you know, it's a it's a constant balancing act of a little of this and a little of that and not getting either one too strong or too weak. All right. And here we are yet again talking about, um, I'm going to use a different word, one we used to use in leadership years ago, stamina, people who can take a lot, which we would now say resilience. But that comes from keeping this stability, this balance between the stress and the renewal. And what I find is everybody is right. You're right. They're focusing on the stress. And how do I gut my way through the stress? And I can just take the stress and not looking at what the processes of renewal are and the ways to bring renewal back into your life so that you are ready to go for the next level of stress. It was a little long-winded way of saying it. Okay, so while we're on this one, I want to talk about a couple of other. You have this lovely article and part of the book, too, that says it's the myths of stress. And I'm going to just pick on a couple of them because there's a bunch of them in here. One of them is stress is bad for you. We've talked about that one. But this notion of resilience is a character trait. So I hear this among executives evaluating talent, calming and going. They just don't have the stamina, something we would evaluate as a character. Um, they can't take the stress. They're not tough enough. I hear all versions of that, which basically says resilience is a part of who you are and you're either good with it or you're not good with it. And you think that's a myth. Why? Well, if you hear it a lot in your work, believe me, in firefighting and, and law enforcement and EMS, <laughs> that is, is very, very persistent. Well, character traits are things that can't be changed. And I, I don't... I, I'm certain there is no question that we can change our resilience by prioritizing. We can't change it overnight. Um, and I'm constantly reminding people that nothing changes overnight, but, uh, and that's just like physical exercise. But if people uh, change their priorities and, and, you know, in our business, 
there's a lot of people who let their job take over their lives. Not that that doesn't have any, I see that, saw that a lot in Silicon Valley startups and so forth as well. I, mm-hmm. In fact, I was really struck by how appropriate, uh, one of the, the best-selling books for law enforcement um, in this domain is, is uh, Emotional Survival by law, uh, for Law Enforcement by Kevin Gilmartin. And he talks about how, and, and in his, his live seminars, he talks about police officers who just let their job take over their lives and they lose all their perspective. And if we think that resilience is a character trait, well, they used to be resilient. They stopped being resilient. Something changed, and we can change it back. And and Gil Martin, without calling it renewal, talks about all the same things. He, he talks about the Eustace. He'll ask police officers, "Hey, uh, you know, what's your hobby? Oh, you know, I go fishing. When's the last time you went fishing? Well, I used to. Uh, and uh, or just when's the last time you went home?" I mean, uh, cops tend to work a lot of overtime. And one of the light bulbs that went off for me is when we escape into work, we're still in fight or flight. Or if we escape into, uh, Gil Martin calls it the magic chair, where, you know, it's like we're made of lead and we're just watching mindless television. That's still fight or flight. If your idea of a vacation is that you're going to get away from the source of stress and that's going to help you, that's still fight or flight. We, We need to be intentional about uh, activating renewal. But, I, you know, the simple answer to your question is, there's no doubt in my mind, because I've lived it, that you can become more resilient by uh, prioritizing these things that activate renewal. Okay. Now, in my world, the next response when I start down this path with an executive will be, I don't have time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Neither does a firefighter feel like they have time in the midst of, you know, the world feeling like it's blazing and how many homes you're going to lose and people are going to die and, 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 and. So what's your response to? Well, people sometimes just don't figure this out till they, they, what is the old saying? The uh, life will keep handing you the lesson until you decide to accept it. And, and, you know, when, when you're ready, the teacher will appear. And one of my mentors uh, was fond of saying that uh, if you don't humble yourself, you'll be humiliated. Um, and uh, it's just, I think, I, I would hope that things like my book will help people realize that they can be, they don't have to wait until a crisis happens to put these things in place. And then when the crisis happens, you know, they're going to, they're going to be able to, to deal with it better if, you know, if, and when there is a crisis. Um it's priorities, but that's part of resilience is, is uh, that's part of that, that uh, pause and plan and, and examine priorities. And people are often unaware of their own priorities. I, I have sat down with, I don't know how many people in public safety who will sort of point to some other person in public safety and say, you know, that guy left his wife and kids. I would never do that. I would never leave my wife and kids. And this is right after they finish telling me they work endless overtime and they're almost never home. And I'll usually just give them a minute and, and, and as gently as I can, can say, but you kind of already have, haven't you? Uh, so I think raising awareness of some of these things holds the potential. Um, but, you know, we have time for the things that, that, that matter. And, and there is a vicious cycle of stress where we lose perspective and it's very, you, you got to do something to break that uh, cycle. And, and there's physical, I think, and mental cycles where we, we, can, we can really get locked into it. And it takes a big wake-up call to get out of it. Um, 
but the good thing is that that the 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 stuff the renewal stuff is also a, a virtuous cycle that as you do more of it it gives you energy to have the self discipline to to keep doing more and more and more um, and so I, I don't I actually don't worry too much I don't think too much about the people who say I don't have time the ones that I would much I feel we can reach much more are the ones who feel like they don't have the self discipline and I I tell them don't start with self-discipline. Give yourself permission to fail and start over to do these renewal things. As you do them, you will gain more motivation. You'll gain more uh, willpower, um, more self-discipline. Uh, I think one of the big mistakes we make is to think it, it, it takes self-discipline. Um, and I, I don't know, I guess as I say that, I honestly think the person who says they don't have time, I think that's more that it's priorities and 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 self-discipline to make time because usually those people give lip service at least to hobbies and family and so forth um, and, and eating well and, and sleep. We haven't mentioned sleep yet. And I, wanna, I know we're going to take a break in a moment, but let's make sure we talk about sleep. Yeah. Uh, I, well, I'll save that. Yeah. I, uh, it's my favorite question when somebody is starting to talk about they're reacting badly to somebody they can't quite take when someone else is being a little off the rails and they're over. It's an outsized reaction for what's going on. My next question is, how are you sleeping? And usually the answer is not very well. So, you know, it's like if you don't clean that one up, then the rest of the body can't follow. Would, um, one of the things that I'm intrigued by on these renewal processes is they do have to be intentional. I think you're right about that, that there are many ways to think about it, but it's not like it takes an enormous amount of time. It's not like I got to take, you know, huge numbers of hours or days off or weeks off, which many people can't afford to do from a work point of view. But I think there are small things that we can do. And that makes for Nick a perfect pause on the, for a break so that when we come back, we can talk about how. How do we get these cycles of renewal going? What are the tactics that we know we're going to work to build resilience? So my guest today is Nick Arnett. He is, as you've heard, a wildland firefighter, EMT, crisis responder, fire chaplain, former paramedic with experience in just about every crisis situation you can imagine, domestic and international across the board. Also, he's been a reporter and he has been um, a software executive with seven patents to his name. So an interesting career. The book we're talking about is Stress into Strength, Resilience Routines for Warriors, Wimps, and Everyone in Between. And the headline news is stress is not bad for you. Stress may actually be good for you. It's the stress and renewal, stress and renewal that actually builds muscle, strength, growth, and gets you out of the comfort zone. So with that, we'll be right back talking about how to build resilience. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. This is Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. Do you find yourself in a role where your team knows more than you know? Are you struggling to see how you now add value? 
For years, I've coached leaders who have moved beyond the comfort zone of their expertise and have developed a methodology to help them make the leap and go on to do more. All of those tips are now packed into my new book, You Can't Know It All. Visit our website at leadership-forum.com or tune in to Out of the Comfort Zone for more insight. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadership-forum.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum. Helping organizations get it and keep it. Hi, I'm Wanda Wallace, host of Out of the Comfort Zone. We have some amazing guests with some incredibly good ideas about how to take your leadership to the next level. But I find people are looking for more practical ways of implementing those ideas. So we've created an individual subscription service specifically to focus on how to apply. You'll find more about that at www.outofthecomfortzone.com. We have two additional subscription services, one for the social group that want to exchange ideas and perspectives with a group and talk about career advancement. And we have a master's level for people who want to take a deeper dive, all on outofthecomfortzone.com. We hope you'll join us. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadership-forum.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Nick Arnett. Nick has had a wonderful career, but currently is a wildland fighter, EMT, crisis responder, and teaching people how to deal with stress and resilience. The highlight, stress is good for you. Stress may actually be a motivator, but it's the balance between stress and renewal that is going to keep you going and keep stress from being a toxic, chronic problem. Now the question is renewal. So we've talked about renewal as being physical, so food and sleep and some other qualities, social as in friends and connection with people. We've talked about it being spiritual, values, meaning, sense of purpose, those sorts of things. So three components, physical, social, and spiritual, at least according to Nick's view of the world, which I happen to like. So the question I want to ask Nick is how. So tell us what works in terms of renewal and start anywhere. You just gave the tease at the very end of the last episode about our last segment about sleep. So what do we do to build renewal and resilience? So I'll talk about that first generally, and then uh, a little bit about where I went in the book a little unexpectedly in terms of how to tailor that uh, for people individually. But so renewal is physical, social, and, and, and spiritual. And, and, and the, you know, even though I've divided them that way, all these things overlap quite a bit, and, and there, are, there are renewal 
practices or activities, you might call them, that, that uh, transcend those. Uh, in fact, you can be doing all three at once. Um, but the physical side, the physical side of renewal, again, it's about reconnecting. It's re- so it's reconnecting to our own bodies. That happens through exercise or mind-body practices, which really are, uh, which can be physical uh, and spiritual, or, or almost always physical and spiritual, because they help us get our perspective back. Um, and, uh, and they can be social, too, because you can do it with a group of people. And, but also connecting with the physical world. So I would even put things like uh, practicing muscle memory, um, which, which, of course, in public safety, there's a lot of that, um, and, and maintaining those muscle memory skills, and then connecting with nature. And part of the reason uh, I am a wildland firefighter is it, I love being out in nature, and even, even when it's on fire, that's okay. Fire isn't natural. Not all of our fires are caused naturally, but fire is a natural part of the environment. It is stressful. But it's a, again, it's a cycle. It's a, the forests are healthy when they have that regular cycle of burning and then growing back, just like we are. Except we don't actually catch fire, at least literally. <laughs> um, but there are a number of, of there have been a, a number of scientific studies looking at uh, people spending time in nature, especially in the east, because uh, Japan has had this idea of forest bathing for a while. Um, you know, it, it, there's not, it's not a ton of evidence, but there's plenty there to strongly suggest that spending even a little bit of time in nature regularly makes a big difference or living in proximity to a park or a green space if you're in a city. Uh, people are healthier, physically healthier. And, and I, I don't know that we look so much at uh, uh, the psychological side of it uh, in the studies, but, uh, but I'm sure it, it also contributes. And then uh, diet and sleep, very important. And, and those are two things that our culture is not doing very well along and, and we are pretty disconnected from nature. I, there's a backdrop here of, of, as I wrote the book, I realized there have been social and cultural changes over the last 50, 100 years that have really disconnected us from many of these sources of renewal. And I think that's why people are feeling a lot of stress and layer the pandemic on top of that. But, um, but eating, eating well, and, and there's a lot of different ideas about that, but I think eating a, a non-inflammatory diet seems to be the one that really addresses renewal. But we now know that, that our gut is, they call it our second brain now because it has so many nerve cells in it and that, that there's a information superhighway that in our nervous system that goes from our gut to our brain called the vagus nerve. The more active it is, the healthier we are physically and, and uh, uh, mentally and, and, that heart rate variability we were talking about earlier, that's just measuring how active that nerve is. But what we eat makes a big difference. And we know that having a, a rich variety of, of organisms in our gut is healthy. We don't know which ones. There's only very, very few that have been identified as ones that we want to have there. But what we do know is a, gr- a good diversity uh, of those helps a lot. And, and oddly enough, foods that are hard to digest are healthier for us. So this is another place where stress <laughs> is good for us. Right. So when when we eat processed foods where they've removed the nutrient from its from whatever uh, encases it. So like uh, refined grains, you know, that's no longer the whole grain that's easier to digest. And that's bad for you. And, And this was such a light bulb for me. I never quite understood why they promote whole grains. So the 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 processed ones, all those calories and everything are available to our gut. And we don't need more calories, most of us. There are some of us who do, but, but, but most of us, the last thing we need is more calories. And not only do we get more new, 
uh, more calories from that those those processed foods than we need, there's less available to our uh, gut biome, all those organisms that live there. So when we eat the whole grains, our gut biome is feeding on on all that stuff that we can't digest. Um, so that was that was interesting that. Even when it comes to digestion, stress, you know, more difficult to digest is a good thing. So, uh, uh, and then sleep. There's a wonderful book out by Matthew Walker, who's at uh, Berkeley, called Why We Sleep. And when I read it, I realized that over the last 10 years or so, because of uh, advanced sensors and and our ability to use computers to analyze what's going on uh, during sleep, we're now realizing that, that sleep is so critical. We certainly knew this in public safety because for quite a while we've been aware that people who don't get good REM sleep, the rapid eye movement sleep, are at much higher risk for post-traumatic stress injuries. And and that's my story. I found out in my 30s that I have sleep uh, apnea and and it it just it was an eye-opener for me because I realized why I'd, I'd struggled with some of these things in my stress backpack. Because what happens during REM sleep is the memory of this bad thing that happened gets disconnected from the feelings. And so uh, if you have a post-traumatic stress injury, remembering it brings up the same feelings you had when the bad thing, when the, the critical incident happened. So REM sleep disconnects those. So it, it, so we already knew it was important from that standpoint. And then uh, this new book really opened, opened my eyes. I, the, the short version is after reading it, I felt like if everybody in this country would just get enough quality sleep, tons of our, our behavioral and physical problems would vanish because poor sleep is related to so many things. Um, and, and, and there's a vicious cycle there too, that when we don't get enough sleep, uh, our cortisol levels rise, we start craving carbohydrates, we'll tend to eat more carbs, put on belly fat. Belly fat can make sleep apnea worse, uh, raise our ins- or, uh, 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 makes us more insulin resistant, moves us toward, you know, type 2 diabetes, and now there's more stress, and it just, it can compound on itself. Um, so that's physical. And then social, Brene Brown. Love her writing, because Brene Brown has told us the benefit of social stress under the name vulnerability, right? We need people that we can be real with. One of the most, one of the saddest statistics that I've seen, and I don't remember exactly what it was, but but the number of especially men in the United States who report no close friends at all um, is, is scary almost because we're just not going to be mentally healthy. We're wired to be social. We're wired to know that there are people who care about us. Now I had an interesting conversation on my last fire with a guy who said, who told me he has no, we're talking about this. He said he has no close friends, but the next thing he said was, but there's a bunch of guys I know. I haven't seen them in years, but I can pick up the phone anytime and talk to them about anything. And I thought, we need to be asking that question because for a while I was thinking we, you know, I'm in a men's group and we talk about some pretty heavy issues on on a weekly basis when I'm able to attend. And I used to think maybe that's what everybody needs. And I realized they don't. We just need to know they're there. And, And there's plenty of research that shows us that knowing someone cares makes a huge difference, whether you interact with them or not. Uh, so, so, uh, but, but we need to know that there's people that we can be vulnerable with, that we can just be real with, be ourselves. And, and, and caring creates resilience, the other side of it, mm-hmm. that, that when we care for others, uh, and, and not just people, but pets and the earth and so forth, 
that care, we know that that caring makes us more resilient. Um, and I do want to give a shout out to dogs and horses in particular, because we're getting more and more evidence. And I, and I work with both uh, much more with dogs. My wife's the horse person, uh, but they're incredibly sensitive to our emotional state. They respond a little differently. Um, a, a supportive dog will come and comfort you if you're upset. A horse will stay away. But that makes the horse a great coach because you'll have to figure out how to become calm and centered for, for that horse to come approach you. That's wonderful feedback. <laughs> um, so social support is all this, not just friends, but mentors and, and you know, leaders and, mm-hmm. and so forth who, uh, who, who help us manage our emotions better and think more clearly. Okay. Um, so it's, although it's social support, it's really about the mental side of things. Okay. And then spiritually, I mentioned, uh, you know, pause and plan. And so, so that's taken time out to either work very consciously about priorities. One of the things I like to suggest to people is look at your calendar and your checkbook, because those are going to tell you what your real priorities are. And, and then compare them to what you think you want your priorities to be, because that's very often not the same. But then also things like uh, meditation and, and mind-body practices like yoga, another book, I'm sure you know about it, just wonderful, Bessel van der Kolk's book, The Body Keeps the Score. So great. And, and it, it finally got me to be a little bit more at peace with the fact that even though my brain knows that yoga is powerful stuff and it would be great for me. And, and one time when I really did yoga with a group of firefighters, um, I was driving home thinking, I have never felt this relaxed. Um, I have a very hard time doing yoga. And, and he talks in the book about one of his patients who, who had the same reaction. It, it helped normalize it for me because we also need people to tell us that, hey, you're not crazy. Um, you're not damaged. You're not mentally ill. You're, you, you know, your reactions are normal. And that's, that's a great deal of what we do in crisis response is just reassure people, hey, you're having a, this is a bit of a cliche, but you're having a normal reaction to a very abnormal event. But anyway, pausing and planning, getting that perspective back um, and, and reprioritizing. So that was sort of the, the big picture. And then the, but then how do I do this for myself? Cause th- that's a yeah. lot. There's a whole bunch yeah. of things there and where do I start? And the principle I ended up using to drive those decisions is the, the idea that our greatest gifts become our biggest obstacles when we overuse them. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we overuse our gifts to do what Brene Brown talks about to, to try and fit in rather than knowing that we truly belong. So when we do things um, to try to be accepted by people and fit in as someone who is not who we really are, then we're overusing our gifts. So, and, and, and this comes back to those, those uh, three types of stress, except it's six because I realized those, those different things, fight versus flight, are two different approaches um, that play into this. So let's say it's, it's uh, uh, fight. Um, if I'm overusing my gift of uh, the, the gift in the stress of fight, as a leader, I might be much too aggressive, uh, much too controlling. Um, we, we certainly encounter that in my business, people who uh, have a great need to micromanage and over control. And that doesn't go well. Um, as it, and it doesn't anywhere really. Um, 
I guess I identify it because I feel it. I think I've learned to turn it off for the most part, but that's one of those gifts that I ever use. And, and yeah, maybe I'll just go ahead and make this pretty personal right now because my own journey played in, and I don't talk a lot about my own journey, but in the book, but, um, oh, and I should mention the framework I decided to use. I, my next book was going to be about, you know, how do you, the practical, how do you do it for yourself? But it, it made its way into this one because I've been a student of the Enneagram for a while. Uh, and if you're not familiar with it, I mean, I know you are, Rhonda, but but if listeners are not familiar with it, it's it. no one really knows how old it is. It's been around for a long time, and it, it describes 12 personality types, um, but it has a lot of depth, and it's not a prescription. It's a tool to help you become more aware of how, one of the things that helps you become more aware of is how you might overuse your gifts. So I tend, the gifts I tend to overuse are uh, what, the, what the Enneagram would call being a helper or being an achiever. And, and so another word that, that psychologists use for the person who overuses their gift of helping is codependent. Mm-hmm. And so that is, um, that is where I'm overusing actually the, the, the renewal side of, of uh, tending and befriending. I'm tending and befriending too much when I'm being too helpful. And, and I need to practice more self-care. So I need to actually learn to be more selfish and survivalist, right? Mm-hmm. So I actually need to figure out how to activate that spiritual stress. And, and, that's, and, and my spiritual journey has kind of uh, taken me in that direction to kind of turn down. Because if, if you tell somebody to stop being so helpful, <laughs> stop being so codependent, again, it's like pushing on a rope, right? It's more, well, what do I do instead? Because, uh, you know, I didn't have that tool. And then the achiever type is, is uh, the piece of that description in the any, you know, Enneagram literature that really always grabs me on that is, is that they're very tempted to lie about their accomplishments. And, and I think we've had a national leader who was very much in that achiever personality type recently, not currently, but recently, um, that achievement is everything. And, and, uh, and then I think that's being very much uh, stuck in, in uh, this gets complicated with the 12 personality types and all the different types of, of stress. Um, but um, so I sort of have to think to myself, it's fight or flight. It's, it's uh, uh, defend and distance and it's uh, selfish and survivalist. And, and if I'm uh, on that achiever side, um, it's well, Having trouble remembering what I what I wrote in my own book at the moment. That's all right. That's all right. We won't give you a pass on this one. I'm, I don't want to make it overly complicated yeah. for people, any rate. And if you want to know the details, you can go and check out yeah. the book. But the concept here is that each of us have strengths and gifts that we use. You know, some of us are helpers, some of us are achievers, some of us are one of the other twelve personality types. And because we're good at that, and we get a lot of positive rewards for it. We tend to overuse that. And so what you're saying is I need to figure out what the counterpart of it is in the stress cycle. So what's the stress that I need to activate in order to calorie balance the stress that I'm doing too much of? And what's the renewal part that I need to activate in order to counterbalance balance the stress? So there's two sides. What stress am I not experiencing and I need to bring it up? And what renewal, experience, what renewal practices? Do I need to increase? Did I get close to accurate on that one? Yeah, absolutely. I, I would just add one thing that, that the gift we overuse is the one that allowed us to survive as children usually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that's certainly well known to, to psychologists that, that uh, 
you know, we, we learn what helps us survive and, and prosper within our family, or maybe not prosper, but, but we, we learn tools to be in the family we're born into. And then if we overuse them as adults, that often gets us into trouble. Okay. Okay. So thinking about one of the ways of, of approaching this, when this pause and plan on the spiritual side, getting your perspective back, is to get a coach or someone who's going to help you understand what are the gifts that you're currently using or overusing. Use the Enneagram, use any number of other tools for getting there, but do some pause and reflect on what are the strengths that I'm overusing and what are the knock-on consequences for stress and for renewal that I need to now pay attention to. Yeah, and so many businesses do this as a business, right? Quarterly retreats or something like yeah. that. But Used to. are people doing it individually for no. themselves? No. I know people who do. Um, people who are disciples of the Stephen Covey Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, which advocates that you take this time sort of at least yearly to pause and say, what are your priorities? What's your personal mission? you know, keep that front and center, those sorts of things. And I know people who follow that quite seriously and quite regularly. I know families who will do that as sort of a family, parents will do that as a family retreat and say, where are we and what do we need to be doing? But we don't often do that in terms of who am I as a leader and who am I as a citizen and who am I as a person and putting all of those together and saying, what what in my life has gotten out of balance and how do I bring it back to stability? And I, I think, you know, change is always scary. You know, those, those gifts we're overusing are comfortable. Um, but, but staying stuck there uh, means we're not growing. And if we're not growing, you know, we're, 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 not, we're not being everything we were created to be, I guess is one way to say it. Um, and, and this is, by the way, this is nothing new. I mean, you can look in, in, in the Bible or other ancient literature and there's the idea of the Sabbath and, and retreating into the wilderness and, uh, you know, th- this whole idea of, again, the rhythms of, of taking time out for renewal and making renewal a priority, um, which you won't find in, and I think any of that is stress reduction. It's just, right. it's not there. In fact, almost the opposite is there, you know, adversity builds character and all the other cliches. Right. Um, and and there, there is truth in those. Reminds me, as you said that, it reminds me of um, the practice of Ramadan and that pause, you know, on it for a period of time where every day I'm going to be thoughtful about both my spiritual side, my social side, and the physical part of eating. It's an interesting and, again, a very old one that's been around for a long time. Yeah. Nick, so much that we've talked about here, the highlight for me is this emphasis, again, that stress isn't bad for you. Stress is how we grow, develop expand, become better human beings. What's missing is the renewal cycles for each of us and that we need to consciously pay attention to what sources of renewal each of us need and can use from the physical space, from the spiritual space, and from the social space. And I love, um, I think I can, maybe I can, I won't go back to it. I won't remember it as well either. So great, great advice. And I can also say in the book, there are tons and tons and tons of exercises that absolutely any normal human being can do at any time to help build the renewal and therefore the resilience. Okay, Nick, my favorite question, just for fun. And because you deal with stress all the time, what takes you out of your comfort zone? (laughs) 
everything every day to a certain extent. Um, you know, I, I was kind of going to address that, that, that when, and I think I said in the book that when you look at all these things you could be doing to activate renewal, the one that wants to pick are the ones that will take you a little bit out of your comfort zone, not way out. Um, well, certainly being vulnerable. I mean, I think part of the reason I love Brene Brown's writing is because I was a very highly defended person and, and that left me with chronic high stress uh, because I just wasn't feeling like I belonged, and and I still struggle with that. You know, these these things are never over. Um, but uh, but I got I'll give a lot of credit to one of my mentors who who uh, is fearless, just fearless about sort of looking at men. You know, I'm not the only victim, so to speak. <laughs> victim isn't the right word, uh, and telling us what he sees that we are blind to. I mean, that's part of the reason we need social support. Uh, because there, we simply can't see uh, ourselves clearly, and 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 that is still. I think in the book I said my men, the, my the one men's group I go to is one of the most terrifying places I go because they're so honest and direct. But that's also what's great about it, um, and that's and it great. activates some stress, but it also reassures me that I truly do belong, not for who I pretend to be, but I truly belong to that group for who I am. And we need those reminders that we belong to the universe as well. That's, I think, why part of the reason connecting with nature is so good, um, that we are created, you know, we are the meat that thinks in this universe. That's right. Um, Nick, we could keep talking. Sadly, I feel like we've just gotten some really good spots, but we'll keep talking. My guest today, Nick Arnett, the book we've been talking about is Stress into Strength, Resilience Routines for Warriors, Wimps, and Everyone in Between. Thanks for joining us today. And join us next week for more wisdom and getting out of your comfort zone. Thank you for joining us today. Tune in for another edition next week with Dr. Wanda Wallace on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.